7 o'clock on the West Coast, 10 a.m. on the East Coast, 3 p.m. in London, midnight in Sydney, and in Malaysia, it's 1976. I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. Chaotic Robot. Hello, Luna Amethyst. Hello, nice to have you guys along. Thanks for joining the stream. And uh, you got a job, Luna. Fantastic, congratulations. And you drew Tatiana from No Straight Roads. Excellent, nice, can't wait to see it. Twitter that sucker. All right, great to see you guys. Thanks for joining. And uh, we are live once again all across the internet on uh, twitch.tv on youtube and also on facebook live i'm not wearing pants as the page and of course our show is also now on podcasts and uh check it out there go the uh there go the bots they keep finding us. I guess that's a, a plus because, you know, if you're popular, you get bots. But, yeah, I mean, no one is stupid enough to actually click on their links. So knock yourself out, bots. Have fun. Uh, anyway, as I was saying, you can find us as a podcast. All This is our 69th episode, and they go up either right away or within 12 hours. On iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Stitcher. It's all there. Uh, plus, you can also find us on Rumble now. All the live video podcasts, the whole video, this, what you're seeing here, not just the audio. The audio is on the normal podcast sites, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google. You'll find the podcast, which is audio only. So hello to our podcast listeners, and thank you very much. Please don't forget to subscribe and download the podcast. It helps me a lot, a lot. And also, if you would be so kind, just a, a simple ask, totally free, doesn't cost you a dime, go to Rumble, rumble.com. And uh, look up I'm Not Wearing Pants or Jay Sheldon. Either one should get you there. But I'm Not Wearing Pants on rumble.com. Create an account, which is free, and please subscribe. I am very lacking of subscriptions over there because I don't have a big base on Rumble. And I need to get up to a certain level in order to get a few things going on Rumble. So if I could ask, please I don't like to make a lot of requests of you guys. You do a lot for me just by being here. But if you have time, rumble.com. I'm not wearing pants is the spot. We are also uh, trudging ahead. I am on Patreon. Finally, I'm on Patreon. Yeah, you'll find me under Jay Sheldon at Patreon if you want to become a member. Um, if you're already over on Patreon, just look up Jay Sheldon. You can click on a link there and make a donation. Oh, my goodness. The chat is going crazy. Uh, Tatiana's VA, even like the photo. Uh, how happy when that happened. Cool. And I just found out that one of the uh, other voice talents for uh, No Straight Roads is like a neighbor of mine. She lives right in the area. And I, I'm sorry, my brain is in 50 different places right now, so I can't remember which. I think it's Suli. Anyway, um, so we're neighbors, which is really cool. Nice. Um, all right. And uh, draw Cliff. I want to draw Cliff, but I'm not sure how it'll look. Oh, you know, you can't go too wrong with this. <laughs> uh, yeah, so if you're on Patreon, uh, please look up Jay Sheldon and do what you can. Um Wow, we got so much to go through tonight. But first of all, I always do a weather report. I mean, I just make a nasty comment about the weather. And in one word, it sucks. I know, that's two words and a sound effect. But no, it's... Oh, man. It is just that hot again and no breeze. And I'm sweating out here. Oh, my God. No, it's, it's really, it is bad. I'm wearing a cotton shirt. I've got my uh, 
my Brooklyn shirt on tonight. Established 1999. Well, I think Brooklyn's been around a little longer than 1999, but anyway. Yeah, <laughs> weather report translation, actual hell. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I'm not going to go to hell when I die, because I'm already there. Oh, man. It was nice in America. Good. On the East Coast, I think you are, if I'm not mistaken, Luna. Um, so, yeah, we've got a few things to talk about. I do want to try and get to the don'ts of lucid dreaming. I put a poll up, by the way, on my, uh, I think it's on my Patre Patreon account. Uh, do you want more about lucid dreaming? Because I've had some emails. People seem to like it. But, uh, yeah, anyway. No, I don't mind if you pass me some rain at all, chaotic robot. Please. We, I actually had, had to water the lawn. The, uh, the, the gardener came and chopped down all the weeds and the grass and mowed and everything. And then, uh, no, I don't have a gardener. It's a guy who comes around with a weed whacker and does it for a little money. But anyway, then after that, there had been no rain for a day, two, three. Actually, it's been almost a week without any substantial rain, which is odd. But um, the the lawn was getting all burned. So I set the sprinkler up and uh, watered it, which is kind of a waste of water, but it really needed it. And my bonsai are doing all right because they get a water every morning, no matter what, unless it's actually raining hard. So, uh, yeah, let's see. We covered our podcast. We covered our rumble.com. We covered my new Patreon account, Patreon account. And uh, we're going to talk about singing off key, uh, weaponized quadcopters hunting humans. Mm, yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, wait, when did you get bonsai? I have been doing bonsai since I was about 15 years old. So that's almost 50 years. Uh, I had a Japanese garden in my backyard at my house in Connecticut, and my bonsai were displayed there. Um, sadly, when I moved to Florida, to Key West, the trees I had were climatized to Connecticut, four seasons. Basically, Key West, tropical island, kind of like Malaysia. So I gave my bonsai all away to another bonsai artist. And uh, there were some wonderful, amazing trees. Um, then in Florida, um, Derek is following. Thank you for the follow, Derek. Nice to have you along. Thanks. Um, in Florida, I really, I was, a, uh, I was in law enforcement in Florida with the Monroe County Sheriff's Department. And I really did not do much with bonsai there. I didn't have a space. I had a condo. Um, but then when I moved to Malaysia, I started again and started over and acquired some, uh, found some uh, in the wild, transplanted them, got them going. So I've again, I've been here almost 20 years. So for another 20 years, I've been involved with bonsai. Um, there's pictures. If you go to my Facebook, actual Jay Sheldon Facebook page, you'll see, you get to scroll through, but there's a there's some pictures in there. Um, so yeah, I have a small Japanese garden off to the side of my, my house. And in the front are all my trees. I've got about mm, 15, maybe, bonsai. So yeah, <laughs> anyway. No, you didn't distract me. Um, I love talking about it. I could do a whole show just on bonsai, like we did on hokusai and all my Japanese paraphernalia. <laughs> um, all right, so I think we've covered everything, basically, that I wanted to talk about as far as that goes. Our podcast, rumble.com, Patreon account. So that's all there. You can help support me if you are so inclined. Um, We've got a whole bunch of viewers here going on from uh, Facebook. Hello, Facebook viewers. YouTube also. We're over there on YouTube. Please also subscribe on YouTube if you can, because, again, i gotta get got to get the numbers up. They like to see the subscriptions go up. Um, all right, so we got so many things. i got like 50 tabs open here of stuff that I wanted to talk about tonight and just basically go through and review with you. This is scary as hell. <clears throat> this this is the you know we we played on our last stream with the uh, opera guys uh which was a machine learning ai thing which is the good part of ai this this is the bad part <clears throat> 
Now, granted, this was from Russian state-controlled media, which is RT. However, I'll just give it to you straight. A weaponized military quadcopter, basically a drone, has hunted down a human target without being told to do so, a new UN report claims. This rather rather alarming incident, that's putting it mildly, it took place last March in Libya during hostilities between the government and rebel forces. A Turkish-built drone designed for anti-terror and asymmetric warfare scenarios was reportedly behind the attack. The UAV called Cargo 2 uses real-time image processing capabilities and machine learning to respond to targets, and it is designed to detonate kamikaze-style just before impact. At the time, the drone is thought to have been operating in a highly effective autonomous mode, which means running by itself, um, described as fire, forget, and find. This mode requires no data connection between a human operator and the quadcopter, and it allows the device to attack targets on its own once it's been launched. It takes off, uses machine learning, finds the enemy, zeroes in on them, goes in, and just before impact, it explodes. The incident could potentially be the first time that drones have autonomously, on their own, struck human targets. It is not known if this attack resulted in any casualties. Man, that is scary stuff. Yeah, a very big yikes. Hmm. Unbelievable. All right, got to lighten the mood. You know the Babylon Bee? The Babylon Bee, if you don't know, is a satire site. It it does news stories that are, well, it does news stories that are like not true, but satire. <coughs> Excuse me. So what was, strangely enough, what's been happening is that the satire stuff that the Babylon Bee has put out there over time sometimes becomes true, as ridiculous as some of their headlines are. So the Babylon Bee came out with this. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> it doesn't exactly fit. It doesn't exact. Oh, Jay, will you stop doing that? Okay, it doesn't exactly fit on the screen, but maybe I can do a little live adjusting here. I know, it's your favorite part of the show when Jay adjusts things live. The Babylon Bee Guide to Being Woke. I like it, I love it, I want some more of it. Being woke is very important in order to show the world you're a good person. You have to avoid having your entire life wrecked by a Twitter mob. So, in order to achieve success and respect all the good woke people, which is the most important thing you can achieve in life, again, this is satire, okay? This is sarcasm. You need to learn how to be properly woke. So, here is the Babylon Bee's definitive guide. Carefully choose your pronouns and then scream them at everyone you meet. Wherever you go, to Costco, loudly scream your pronouns in shoppers' faces. And if anyone refuses to celebrate your pronouns, smash a giant box of pretzels over their head and call the manager, Karen. By the way, my preferred pronouns are Oshkosh Bagosh. Okay, select the most oppressed identity possible. Test people's loyalty to the cause by identifying perhaps as a walrus and cancel anyone who doesn't make walrus noises every time they see you. Okay? Uh, compare everything to Nazis, as long as you're a Democrat. If you're a Republican, that could get you fired. Uh, learn to hate the right people. Now, hate is good when it's directed at the correct targets. All you have to do is follow the guidelines of a mentally ill Twitter mob who will help steer your hate in the right direction. 
Uh, Pre-order David Hogg's Good Pillow. Classify everyone according to race and not as an individual. Uh, If you're white, don't have any black friends. To help atone for our racist past, try some casual segregation. Uh, Always have extremely low expectations of minorities. Again, this is sarcasm. Abandon religion and instead accept everything the woke crowd believes without question. Mm -hmm. And finally, achieve inner peace by constantly beating yourself up for not doing better. Okay, so there you go. Now you have the guide. If you want, you can go over to the Babylon Bee. There's a whole bunch of details there on exactly what you can do to to be woke. (laughs) And Darren... You are exactly right. There, there is no more hope left for humanity. <laughs> oh, man. All right. I, I, along the same lines, actually, this is not that different from the last one. I found this, and I love this. This is, as an atheist, what are your views on blasphemy? Now, I did a whole segment, I don't know how many shows ago, way back, half, half the shows back, in which I, I made comments about how you can insult people because people have feelings. You cannot insult a thing. It's like this microphone. You're ugly and your mother dresses you funny, Mr. Microphone. Wait, let me see if the microphone has been offended. Nope, it wasn't offended because this microphone has no feelings. Anything that has no feelings can't be offended. The person can be offended. All right, so let me get to this. Even as an atheist, I'm absolutely fine with blasphemy laws. At least I am as long as the accusations are properly checked. So if someone is suspected of blasphemy, instead of arresting them, Call in God. Now the faithful just need to offer up a quick prayer, asking God that if he was truly offended, could he just quickly send down a thunderbolt and reduce the evil offender to a singed, greasy spot. Now if no thunderbolt is forthcoming, we can all assume that God is not offended and we can just go home. In fact, now that I've written it down, it occurs to me that we could just cut out the middleman and assume that God can decide himself if he's been offended. Unless, of course, the theists believe that God is incapable of acting himself and that all works, if God is real, are just works of man. How about that? That just, uh, man, that says it all. (laughs) Just cut out the middleman and assume God can figure it out for himself. (laughs) Hallelujah. Amen, Darren says. (laughs) All right. Hey, you know, I am a big advocate of reading. Uh, Yeah, wonderfully put, Chaotic Robot. I, you know, I read a book on this show, this video podcast and our audio podcast now. Um, and we are now uh, coming to the end of Peter Pan. We've done the wonderful Wizard of Oz. We did the Velveteen Rabbit. We did Alice in Wonderland. We're going to be doing the Little Prince coming up after Peter Pan. The main reason that I read these books, well, twofold. I love reading. I love reading out loud. I hope you enjoy it. A lot of people seem to. I get a lot of reaction. And the other one is to encourage you, and more importantly for you to encourage your kids to read. Because the wonderful art of reading has sadly been lost. Now, there is nothing better than putting an actual book in your hand and turning the pages. That's reading. But you can read here. You can read here online e-books, whatever it might be, your tablet, but read, 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 read. This I found 
And it's again the Weird Facts uh, place, which has some really brilliant uh, stuff. Um, yeah, and once again, you can't see the whole thing. So hang on as Jay does his little adjustments here. All right. There are libraries in Los Angeles, one of the few things they're doing right in L.A., that lets kids read to pay off their late fees. So if they're late in returning a book, you know, you get a, a fine from the library. But this library, for every hour a child spends reading at the county-run libraries, they knock $5 off their account. Library staff say at least 100 kids every week read away their debt and 3,500 suspended accounts were cleared during the first six months of the program. That is cool. We love that. We, we love that. Anything you can do to get kids reading more, I'm all for it. Uh, and yes, Chaotic Robot, I am still using the Gutenberg Project. Gutenberg.org is where we get all of our, uh, all of our books from. All right. Um, I got to scroll this down. Oh, man, I don't think it's going to work. Hang on. Let me, let me see. Uh, it does. Okay. You can't read the bottom, right? Good. Okay. I, I don't want you to see the bottom part of this story because this, again, comes from this, this weird news site. Um, history hustle. Dr. James Barry finished school at 22 years old and rose in the ranks as a British army surgeon. In Africa, Barry performed one of the first successful C-sections where the mother and the child both survived. In Canada, in 1857, Barry became the Inspector General of Hospitals and made improvements for the poor. When Barry died, after a remarkable career, the army tried to suppress Barry's records and all access to them was shut down for 100 years, when it was revealed that Barry was actually a woman, Margaret Ann Buckley, disguised as a man. Imagine that. Wow. That's incredible. That is unbelievable. What a fantastic story. I, you know, I don't know back, I mean, we're talking about 18, the mid-1800s. So I'm not sure the whole trans thing, whether she just, because she could not be successful as a woman, so she pretended to be a man, or if she actually maybe was tra a trans person. I, I don't know. Again, 1857, I don't think that really probably entered the picture. I mean, it, it might have, but uh, I have no idea. Very weird. All right, more weird facts. I got a million of them tonight. This one, <laughs> this one is really cool because we were talking about lucid dreaming. And if we can, we'll get to a little more of lucid dreaming don'ts coming up after this segment. Paul McCartney dreamed the melody to yesterday. You know, yesterday, all my troubles seem so far away. I can't sing. He woke up from the dream, thinking that subconsciously he had plagiarized the song. It's like, no, oh, I must have heard that somewhere before. So for about a month afterwards, he went around to people in the music business and asked them, have you ever heard of this melody before? And they had, had they ever heard it? They said, um, no. And he had to make sure the song wasn't theirs. Um, after he confirmed that, there you go. The rest, as they say, is music history. <laughs> but he actually got the melody to, to yesterday from a dream. Maybe a lucid dream. Never know. Could be. <laughs> Oh man! Hey, we lost a uh, we lost a superhero, one that not many people know of. Uh, if you're in the voice business, as I am, uh, you might. His name was uh, 
Paul Souls. He did the voice of Spider-Man back in the 60s. He was 90 years old, and he just passed away a few days ago. Canadian actor. His uh, credits include Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. He played the dentist in that great stop-motion animated series. And also the Marvel superheroes. Uh, He was, as you see here, the the voice of Spider-Man from the 60s. Uh, hang on, a little break here. Darren says, send me the contract for your chef. You're on top of the world tonight. I need to know what you had for dinner. <laughs> you don't want to know what I had for dinner, actually. Oh, man. Yeah, um, he did the voice of um, Spider-Man in the 60s. He was 90 years old. And uh, he was a Canadian treasure. If you're listening from Canada, you probably know the name. Um, had a long life, so many adventures along the way. Uh, he also, as I said, played the role of um, of uh, Hermie, Hermie the Misfit Elf in the non-stop-motion uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer special back in 1964. They used to play that on uh, CBS television every, every Christmas. It was great. King of the Beasts, The King Kong Show, Marvel Superheroes, uh, Canada After Dark, the list goes on and on and on. So... Uh, Sad, uh, and we wish a uh, R.I.P. rest in peace to Paul Souls. What a great name, huh? Very cool. All right. The other part of our our teaser clickbait thing we did tonight said to sing off key and draw poorly. Well, that came from this particular cool piece of advice from Jen at BookAvid, B-O-O-K-A-V-I-D on Twitter. Great advice. Listen up, all right? Listen up. Destroy the idea that you have to be good at artistic things to enjoy them. That every hobby has to be something you're so good at, you can monetize it. Because everybody, you know, got to monetize, got to monetize. For me, I do this because it's fun. I ask for your donations like over there or on Patreon, simply because it's expensive to put this show on, and which is why, and we really appreciate whatever help you give. But I'm not begging and pleading to, you know, make money and make a fortune off of this. It'll never happen. But everyone believes, oh, you're going to become a big internet star, you're going to go viral, you're going to make a million bucks a month, blah, 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 BS. Not going to happen. But we have to get out of that mindset that you have to be good at everything and you have to monetize it. A capitalist lie. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm all in favor of capitalism, but sing off key, draw poorly, write badly, but sing, draw, write. Whatever it is you want to do, do it. Life is meant to be enjoyed. Enjoy it. It's meant to be enjoyed, not monetized. You are not a product. Now, don't ask me why they tagged this of the idiots at Facebook with some COVID-19 comment. But anyway, I mean, that's, that's exactly it. Life is meant to be enjoyed, not monetized. Sing off key. Draw badly, write poorly. Well, maybe using proper English. No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Just do it and enjoy it. (laughs) Uh, Full of life lessons tonight. I got a million of them. I love it. There's so many of these things. Uh, Just, just a few more. A few more. Just hang with me. Hang with me. Uh, We'll get to. We'll get through. Just, just maybe two more. Love this one. Oh, this is so good. And it relates, in a way, to what I just talked about just now. You know, enjoy life. Two more spins. (laughs) The rich industrialist was horrified to find the fisherman lying beside his boat, smoking a pipe. Why aren't you out fishing? asked the industrialist. Because I've caught enough fish for the day. 
Why don't you go catch some more? What would I do with them? Well, you could earn more money. Then you could have a motor fitted to your boat and go deeper in the water and catch more fish. And then you'd have enough money to buy nylon nets. And that would bring you more fish and more money. Soon you'd have enough money to own two boats, maybe even a fleet of boats. Then you would be a rich man like me. And the fisherman said, well, what would I do then? And the industrialist said, then you could sit back and enjoy life. And the fisherman said, what do you think I'm doing right now? <laughs> yes, exactly. What do you think I'm doing right now? Oh, man, <laughs> that's so sweet. I love that. Fantastic. All right, I got one more spin for you. One more, one more, and then we're going to do a little don'ts of lucid dreaming, and then we'll get on to Peter Pan. All right. There is a picture of the eclipse of the moon from the blood moon that just happened. And I think this picture proves everything. Stand by for this. Very important. I don't know why this wasn't headlines all across all the news channels all week. This is a picture of the blood full moon in eclipse which apparently was taken by the Flat Earth Society. There you go. That explains it. <laughs> That's it. There it is. There it is. Proof. A picture from the Flat Earth Society of the eclipse. I have to say for our podcast listeners, you got to check the visual version of the show. Go to rumble.com, search for I'm Not Wearing Pants, or Facebook, or YouTube. You're going to have to see this one, because it's a visual. But it's a funny one. <laughs> yeah, I agree with your comment, chaotic robot. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Insane. Oh, no. Wait a minute. I lost my notes. Here we go. Let me open this back up again. Okay. Lucid dreaming. I'm just <laughs> kind of looks like a penny. Yeah, you're right. It does. Um, we talked about lucid dreaming a couple of streams ago and for a couple of, of streams. And I gave you some pointers. Lucid dreaming, if you don't know, is your conscious mind being aware that you are dreaming. You're in REM sleep, you're having a dream, but you are aware that you're dreaming. I know, sounds freaky. Not dangerous, not dangerous at all. Almost everyone has the ability to lucid dream. Some people pick it up very quickly. For some people, it takes some work to do. I am still in the process. I've had a couple of lucid dreams. They are weird because you are actually awake. You realize I'm awake. I'm, I'm not awake. I'm conscious that I'm dreaming. I know I'm dreaming. Lucid dreaming is, is very cool. I need to re read Neil Gallman. I'll check it out. Okay, so anyway... There's a, there's a lot of YouTube videos. There's one in particular that I watch often with some great tips on how to lucid dream. I already gave you a list of things you can do to try and encourage yourself to lucid dream. If you can get it to work, it's amazing. Because what happens is when you become conscious that you're dreaming, you also can then control your dream. You can decide what to do. You can change things. You can fly. You can go anywhere, into space, into to Paris, to Japan, to wherever your subconscious mind can create, it'll happen and you can control it. And you consciously are controlling it. I know it sounds weird, but it's, it's scientifically 
proven and it works and I've actually experienced it a couple times. I've been trying. We'll try again tonight. I'll let you know how it goes. But if you try, and for some people, you'll pick it up right away. It'll happen. Just go back to my former episodes. You'll see in the thumbnail, say, about lucid dreaming. And those are the shows that we cover some how-tos or some tips to help you lucid dream. Some things I promised, and I, I've been putting it off, so I want to get the, to them tonight. Some things not to do. Now, again, lucid dreaming is perfectly safe. You're not going to get hurt. It's not like sleepwalking or anything weird like that. Sleep paralysis. We all have sleep paralysis every night. You just don't know it. Um, so things not to do when you're lucid dreaming if you get into it. Don't do things that are too exciting. And you can take that for what it is. Mm, because that's what you're thinking is what a lot of people do for lucid dreaming when they can control their dreams. You might not want to try that right away. It Chances are you'll wake up. That's why. And you're going to spoil your lucid dream if you wake up. Yeah, astral sex. Okay, I, there, I said it, all right? A lot of people use lucid dreaming to have sex fantasies, which you can do. You can, but you might want to put that off till you get a little better at lucid dreaming. Because if whatever you're doing gets too exciting, you'll wake up. And then your dream's over, you're done, you're finished. Don't kill people which is fairly self-explanatory. I shouldn't have to, but I will. People in your dreams are simply extensions of yourself. And killing them, in quotes, is kind of like killing a part of yourself, philosophically. Remember, we're talking about your subconscious mind. So in general, it's just, I mean, you could do it, but it's just not really a good idea. Don't close your eyes. Now, of course, your eyes are closed in reality because you're asleep, but your, your conscious mind is awake. In your dream, if you close your eyes, strangely enough, you could wake up, which again, spoils your lucid dream. Um, don't do real life things in lucid dreams. Sometimes, not often though, but sometimes you can mix up real life with dream memories. So real life memories, dream memories, it all becomes, because these lucid dreams are very vivid. They're very real feeling, even though it's a dream, harmless, but a dream. So it is possible if you do things in your dream that are too close to your real life, you might confuse the memories. Besides, if you're in a lucid dream and you can do anything you want, why would you want to do the things you do in, in every day anyway? Yeah. Uh, don't think about your body in real life. It also makes it hard for you to focus and easier to wake up. Don't wish for something scary. Whatever you ask your subconscious for, it will create. Your subconscious knows your deepest fears, and it will create something very scary to you. So best not to ask it for that. Uh, also, don't dream about real-life people too often in your lucid dreams. And again, this relates back to dreaming about your real life too often. Uh, for a lot of people, again, you could confuse. Like you're, the next time you see this real person, you're talking to them, you might have a, a memory of something that you said or something that happened in the lucid dream that didn't really happen, but to you it seems like a real memory. So... Just be aware that those kind of things can get a little confusing. Okay, I mentioned this also in our stream about lucid dreaming, that you shouldn't look in a mirror. Now, for many people, the reason is the reflection will not necessarily be you, your face. And it can be quite scary. Now, if you are prepared for that, fine. But you're advised not to look in mirrors. It's just, again... The old subconscious getting at you there. And don't try and control things too much. You can control things, but take it easy. Take your time. Get better at lucid dreaming before you try to move a mountain or pick up a building and put it on the other side of the road or something. I mean, you can do that, but take your time and get better at lucid dreaming and controlling little things. Try putting your hand through a table something like that. I, you know, just control small things. 
try a short flight at first, which is one of the things that, that I enjoy most about lucid dreaming, because that flying dream is my favorite of all time. Um, don't spend too much time lucid dreaming also. If you're beginning to look forward to your dreams more than you look forward to real life, that's a bad thing. Don't use uh, lucid dreaming as an escape. It's a tool, but that's all. It is just a tool, a safe tool, won't harm you, but it is simply a tool. And remember that lucid dreams are just that, a dream. Very important, keep that in mind. Lucid dreams are just that, they are a dream. All right, that is our lucid dreaming bit. I finally got through it. I knew I would eventually get back to, because <clears throat> everyone was asking, what were the don'ts, what are the don'ts? So there you go. Now you know what you should avoid doing if you're gonna try lucid dreaming. But honestly, I can't take the time to cover all the different ways to encourage yourself to have lucid dreams. What I can encourage you to do is to go to YouTube, type in lucid dreaming. You'll probably find this one guy, he's a young guy, and he's a big how-to advocate on lucid dreaming. It's where I've learned a lot of the stuff, and it's quite cool. Check him out. Check out his channel. All right. On to Peter Pan, my friends. Oh, my goodness. We've done 45 minutes. Wow. Thanks for sticking with us. Um, <laughs> all right. I will remind you once again that we are live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch.tv. You can find our podcast anywhere you find your favorite podcast. Please subscribe and download. Those help. Now you can find us on rumble.com. Sign up for an account at Rumble. It's totally free. You'll find some, it's like an alternative to YouTube. It's a very cool place. Yes, there's a lot of political stuff there, but there's a lot of other stuff there, including this show. You can go all the way back to the beginning and um, watch episodes, whatever you want to. So subscribe to, uh, sign up for an account at Rumble. Subscribe to the I'm Not Wearing Pants channel, please. All right. And also you'll find me now on Patreon. Just search Jay Sheldon on Patreon and help out if you can. All right. On to Peter Pan. Here we go. It's chapter 16. My goodness, we're almost at the end. In fact, this chapter is called The Return Home. And here we go. By three bells that morning, they were all stirring for their stumps. For there was a big sea running, and Tootles, the bosun, was among them, with a rope's end in his hand and chewing tobacco. They all donned pirate clothes, cut off at the knees, shaved smartly and tumbled up with a true nautical roll and hitching their trousers. It need not be said who was the captain. Nibs and John were first and second mate, there was a woman aboard. The rest were tars before the mast and lived in the forecastle. Peter had already lashed himself to the wheel, but he piped all hands and delivered a short address to them, and he hoped they would do their duty like gallant hearties, but that he knew they were the scum of Rio and the Gold Coast, and if they snapped at him, he would tear them. The bluff, strident words struck the note sailors understood, and they cheered him lustily. Then a few sharp orders were given, and they turned the ship round and nosed her for the mainland. Captain Pan calculated, after consulting the ship's charts, that if this weather lasted, they should strike the Azores about the 21st of June, after which it would save time to fly. Now, some of them wanted it to be an honest ship, and others were in favor of keeping it a pirate. But the captain treated them as dogs, and they dared not express their wishes to him, even in a round robin. Instant obedience was the only safe thing. Slightly got a dozen for looking perplexed when told to take soundings. The general feeling was that Peter was honest just now to lull Wendy's suspicions, but that there might 
be a change when the new suit was ready, which, against her will, she was making for him out of some of Hook's wickedest garments. It was afterwards whispered among them that on the first night he wore this suit, he sat long in the cabin with Hook's cigar holder in his mouth and one hand clenched, all but the forefinger, which he bent and held threateningly aloft like a hook. Instead of watching the ship, however, we must now return to that desolate home from which three of our characters had taken heartless flight so long ago. It seems a shame to have neglected number 14 all this time, and yet we may be sure that Mrs. Darling does not blame us. If we had returned sooner to look with sorrowful sympathy at her, she probably would have cried. Don't be silly. What do I matter? Do go back and keep an eye on the children. So long as mothers are like this, their children will take advantage of them, and they may lay to that. Even now, we venture into that familiar nursery only because its lawful occupants are on the way home. We are merely hurrying on in advance of them to see that their beds are properly aired and that Mr. and Mrs. Darling do not go out for the evening. We are no more servants. Why on earth should their beds be properly aired, seeing that they left them in such a thankless hurry? Why would it not serve them jolly well, jolly well right if they came back and found that their parents were spending the weekend in the country? It would be the moral lesson they have been in need of ever since we met them. But if we contrived things in this way, Mrs. Darling would never forgive us. One thing I should like to do immensely, and that is to tell her, in the way authors have, that the children are coming back, that indeed they will be here on Thursday week. This would spoil so completely the surprise to which Wendy and John and Michael are looking forward. They have been planning it out on the ship. Mother's rapture, father's shout of joy, Nana's leap through the air to embrace them first, then what they ought to be prepared for is a good hiding. How delicious to spoil it all by breaking the news in advance, so that when they enter grandly, Mrs. Darling may not even offer Wendy her mouth, and Mr. Darling exclaim pettishly, Dash it all! Here are those boys again! However, we should get no thanks even for this. We are beginning to know Mrs. Darling by this time, and may be sure that she would upbraid us for depriving the children of their little pleasure. But, my dear madam, it is ten days till Thursday week, so that by telling you what's what, we can save you ten days of unhappiness. Yes, but at what a cost, by depriving the children of ten minutes of delight. Oh, well, if you look at it that way, what other way is there in which to look at it? You see, the woman had no proper spirit. I meant to say extraordinarily nice things about her, but I despise her, and not one of them will I say now. She does not really need to be told to have things ready for they are ready. All the beds are aired, and she never leaves the house. And observe, the window is open. For all the use we are to her, we might as well go back to the ship. However, as we're here, we might as well stay and look on. That is all we are, lookers-on. Nobody really wants us. So let us watch and say jaggy things in the hope that some of them will hurt. The only change to be seen in the night nursery is that between nine and six, the kennel is no longer there. 
When the children flew away, Mr. Darling felt it in his bones that all the blame for his was his for having chained Nana up, and that from first to last she had been wiser than he. Of course, as we've seen, he was quite a simple man. Indeed, he might have passed for a boy again if he'd been able to take his baldness off, but he also had a noble sense of justice and a lion's courage to do what seemed right to him. And having thought the matter out with anxious care after the flight of the children, he went down on all fours and crawled into the kennel. To all Mrs. Darling's dear invitations to him to come out, he replied sadly but firmly, No, my own one, this is the place for me. Well, in the bitterness of his remorse, he swore that he would never leave the kennel until his children came back. Of course, this was a pity, but whatever Mr. Darling did, he had to do it in excess. Otherwise, he soon gave up doing it. And there was never a more humble man than the once proud George Darling, as he sat in the kennel of an evening talking with his wife of their children and all their pretty ways. Very touching was his deference to Nana. He would not let her come into the kennel, but on all other matters he followed her wishes implicitly. Every morning the kennel was carried with Mr. Darling in it to a cab which conveyed him to his office, and he returned home the same way at six. Something of the strength of character of the man will be seen if we remember how sensitive he was to the opinion of neighbors. This man, whose every movement now attracted surprised attention, inwardly he must have suffered torture, but he preserved a calm exterior even when the young criticized his little home, and he always lifted his hat courteously to any lady who looked inside. It may have been quixotic, but it was magnificent. Soon the inward meaning of it leaked out, and the great heart of the public was touched. Crowds followed the cab, cheering it lustily. Charming girls scaled it to get his autograph. Interviews appeared in the better class of papers, and societies invited him to dinner and added, Do come in the kennel. On that eventful Thursday week, Mrs. Darling was in the night nursery awaiting George's return home. A very sad-eyed woman. And now that we look at her closely and remember the gaiety of her in the old days, all gone now just because she's lost her babies. I find I won't be able to say nasty things about her after all. If she was too fond of her rubbishy children. She couldn't help it. Look at her in the chair there, where she has fallen asleep. The corner of her mouth, where one looks first, is almost withered up. Her hand moves restlessly on her breast as if she had a pain there. Some like Peter best, and some like Wendy best, but I like her best. Suppose, to make her happy, we whisper to her in her sleep that the brats are coming back. They are really within two miles of the window now, and flying strong, but all we need whisper is that they are on the way. Let's. It is a pity we did, for she has started up, calling their names, and there is no one in the room but Nana. Oh, Nana, I dreamt my dear ones had come back. Nana had filmy eyes, but all she could do was put her paw gently on her mistress's lap, and they were sitting together thus when the kennel was brought back. As Mr. Darling puts his head out to kiss his wife, we see that his face is more worn than of yore, but he has a softer expression. He gave his hat to Lisa, who took it scornfully, but she has no imagination and was quite incapable of understanding the motives of such a man. 
and outside the crowd who had accompanied the cab home were still cheering, and he was, naturally, not unmoved. Listen to them, he said. It is very gratifying. Lots of little boys, sneered Lisa. There were several adults today, he assured her with a faint flush, but when she tossed her head, he had not a word of reproof for her. Social success had not spoiled him, it had made him sweeter. For some time he sat with his head out of the kennel, talking with Mrs. Darling of his success and pressing her hand reassuringly when she said she hoped his head would not be turned by it. If I had been a weak man, he said, good heavens, if I had been a weak man. And George, she said timidly, you are as full of remorse as ever, aren't you? Full of remorse as ever, dearest. See my punishment? Living in a kennel. Uh, but it is punishment, isn't it, George? You are sure that you're not enjoying it? My love. You may be sure she begged his pardon, and then, feeling drowsy, he curled round in the kennel. "'Won't you play me to sleep?' he asked on the nursery piano. And as she was crossing to the day nursery, he added thoughtlessly, "'And shut that window. I feel a draft.' "'Oh, George, never ask me to do that. "'That window must be left open. "'It's for them, always, always.' Well, now it was his turn to beg her pardon, and she went into the day nursery and played, and soon he was asleep. And while he slept, Wendy and John and Michael flew into the room. Oh, no, we have written it so, because that was the charming arrangement planned by them before we left the ship. But something must have happened since then, for it is not they who have flown in. It is Peter and Tinkerbell. Peter's first words tell it all. Quick, Tink, he whispered. Close the window. Bar it. That's right. Now, you and I must get away by the door. And when Wendy comes, she will think that her mother has barred her out. And she will have to go back with me. Now I understand what had hitherto puzzled me. Why, when Peter had exterminated the pirates, he did not return to the island and leave Tink to escort the children to the mainland. This trick had been in his head all the time. Instead of feeling that he was behaving badly, he danced with glee. Then he peeped into the nursery to see who was playing. He whispered to Tink, It's Wendy's mother. She's a pretty lady, but not so pretty as my mother. Her mouth is full of thimbles, but not so full as my mother's was. <coughs> of course, he knew nothing whatever about his mother, but he sometimes bragged about her. He did not know the tune, which was Home Sweet Home, but he knew it was saying, Come back, Wendy, Wendy, Wendy. And he cried exultantly, You will never see Wendy again, for the window is barred. He peeped in again to see why the music had stopped, and now he saw that Mrs. Darling had laid her head on the box and that two tears were sitting on her eyes. She wants me to unbar the window, thought Peter. But I won't, not I. He peeped again, and the tears were still there, or another two had taken their place. She's awfully fond of Wendy, he said to himself. He was angry with her now for not seeing why she could not have Wendy. The reason was so simple. I'm fond of her, too. We can't both have her, lady. But the lady would not make the best of it. 
and he was unhappy. He ceased to look at her, but even then she would not let go of him. He skipped about and made funny faces, but when he stopped, it was just as if she were inside him, knocking. Ah, uh, all right, he said and gulped. Then he unbarred the window. Come on, Tink, he cried with a frightful sneer at the laws of nature. We don't want any silly mothers. And he flew away. Thus, Wendy, John, and Michael found the window open for them after all, which, of course, was more than they deserved. They alighted on the floor, quite unashamed of themselves, and the youngest one had already forgotten his home. John, he said, looking around him doubtfully, I think I've been here before. Of course you have, silly. There's your old bed. Oh, so it is, Michael said, but not with much conviction. I say, cried John, the kennel. And he dashed across to look into it. Perhaps Nana is inside, Wendy said. But John whistled, hello, he said, there's a man inside it. It's father, exclaimed Wendy. Let me see father, Michael begged eagerly, and he took a good look. He's not so big as the pirate I killed, he said with such frank disappointment that I'm glad Mr. Darling was asleep. It would have been sad if those had been the first words he heard his little Michael say. Wendy and John had taken aback somewhat at finding their father in the kennel. Surely, said John, the one who has lost faith in his memory, he used not to sleep in the kennel. John, Wendy said falteringly, perhaps we don't remember the old life as well as we thought we did. A chill fell upon them, and it served them right. It was very careless of mother, said that young scoundrel John, not to be here when we come back. It was then Mrs. Darling began playing again. It's mother, cried Wendy, peeping. So it is, said John. Then are you not really our mother, Wendy? asked Michael, who was surely sleepy. Oh, dear, exclaimed Wendy with her first real twinge of remorse. It was quite time we came back. Let us creep in, John suggested, and put our hands over her eyes. But Wendy, who saw that they must break the joyous news more gently, had a better plan. Let us all slip into our beds and be there when she comes in, just as if we'd never been away. And so when Mrs. Darling went back to the night nursery to see if her husband was asleep, all the beds were occupied. The children waited for her cry of joy, but it did not come. She saw them, but she did not believe they were there. You see, she saw them in their beds so often in her dreams that she thought this was just the dream hanging around her still. She sat down by the chair by the fire, where in the old days she had nursed them. They could not understand this, and a cold fear fell upon all three of them. Mother, Wendy cried. That's Wendy, she said, but still she was sure it was the dream. Mother, that's John, she said. Mother, cried Michael. He knew her now. That's Michael, she said, and she stretched out her arms for the three little selfish children that they would never envelop again. Yes, they did. They went round Wendy and John and Michael, who had slipped out of bed and run to her. George, George, she cried when she could speak, and Mr. Darling woke up to share her bliss, and Nana came rushing in. They could not have been a lovelier sight. But there was none to see it, except a little boy who was staring in at the window. 
He had ecstasies innumerable that other children can never know. But he was looking through the window at the one joy for which he must forever be barred. Wow. Our final chapter will come up next time on Saturday night. It is chapter 17 and it's called When Wendy Grew Up. That's amazing. The kids are back. That was a long chapter. <laughs> oh, my. All right, that's it. We're done. We're out of here. Thank you so much for sticking with us. Uh, don't forget, you'll find me on Patreon. You can uh, look up uh, Jay Sheldon over there. Join up if you are so inclined. Subscribe, like, rumble.com. I'm not wearing pants. Subscribe on rumble.com, please. Set yourself up a free account. And uh, Chaotic did some doodles. I can't wait. It's been a while. Thanks. I was just over on Twitter yesterday checking out uh, some of the NSR stuff. Very cool. Thank you. Look forward to it. Put your doodles up. I want to see them. All right. And uh, our podcast listeners, thank you so much. Thanks for the subscriptions and the downloads. Truly appreciate that. They all, they all matter. They all count. Appreciate it. You did. Good. Good news. All right, guys. All right. Uh, enjoy your lucid dream later if you're so inclined. I hope uh, I hope you do. And um, I will see you again on Saturday night and all the usual places. Until then, I'm Jay Sheldon and I'm not wearing pants. Good night.